0: Live from the Hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel.
1: Shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Land of Israel Fellowship. So good to see you all. love seeing your faces. I missed you all. I missed our gatherings. I missed meeting. I needed to miss it so I would know how much I missed it. I just, you know, every once in a while, I don't just it's just this human nature. I just take things for granted, even though I don't mean to. And then as soon as we missed our last gathering, there was a hole in my heart that I felt that was just unfillable. Even though Pesach here was absolutely out of this world, there was a lacking in my heart that was like, oh, our gathering is just so spiritually invigorating for me. It like brings us back to focus, what we're doing here, why we're doing here. And Uh, we just missed you for Passover, I know that the time is going to come that we're all going to be celebrating Passover soon together, but until then, um, I just want to share with you, Passover here was just gorgeous, the farm after the Seder was teeming with visitors from all over, Um, thank goodness Tahila and I took a few days before Passover to rest up for what was going to, we knew something was going to come. We didn't really know. And it was like just Tahila and I and Ari and Shayna. we need a vacation after that Passover vacation. It was just so overwhelming. And we know that we're called to be the stewards of this mountain. And Passover is showtime. So many people came out to see the land, tour the country. And the Arugoat farm is a sight to see. And so were called not only to be the guardians of Judea, but the hosts who welcome every guest with Abrahamic open arms from morning until night. I never understood that the Levites in the temple, they stood with spears. They were also the guardians of the temple and they were also the stewards and the hosts of the temple. And that has become um, very clear to me over the years now, exactly what our position is and how that is sort of laid out in the vision of the ancients. And I mean, our families were hosting and we were teaching and sharing and feeding and cleaning just morning until night, just the entire holiday of Passover. It was just exhausting. By the end of the day, Tehila and I would look at each other and be like, <gasps> and just crash in bed, only to wake up to start it all over again. And although it was hard and it was tiring and you can't do it for that long, um, it is an amazing feeling to work as hard as you can until you just crash working in what you believe that you're supposed to be working in. It is a really wonderful feeling. It's sort of not the way the modern man thinks because modern man is like, how do I do as little as possible to get as much as possible? That's sort of the line I want to walk. I want to work as least as much and get as much. And, and we just like put it all out there. I mean, we were just working hard. And the groups that came, they were so diverse. Some were religious, some were not, some were Jewish, some were not, some Israeli, some Canadian, Germans, some were Americans, Australians, Africans, some Russians, some city folks, some settlers. I mean, there was though, there was one common thread that I saw in every group that I hosted, every group that I hosted, at least one person in the middle of our time together as I was sharing or touring or teaching, just, started to cry and every group that that happened and it was it was it was wild because it was groups of of non-jews and very religious jews and inside israel and outside israel somehow the combination of the holiday of passover the holiday of geulah and our mountain the spirit of the mountain it touched their heart and cracked it open Their souls were stirred. Their bodies responded. You know, some people lose their breath. Their breath is just taken away when they see the views of the mountains. It's like Nishima in Hebrew is breath and Nishama is soul. So when your breath is taken away, like it's like your soul is like woken up. And some people get the chills and some people get goosebumps. But the most profound is when people cry. And it was just a solid week of a spiritual roller coaster. And from sunrise until sunset, we couldn't get off. And it was just unbelievable. I don't know how else to explain it. Because for two years, uh, it was silent on our mountain. It was lockdowns in COVID and corona. And there was no tourism. And then it was like a flood that came in this Passover. And I feel like the wheels are just starting to get turning now. And then Friday came. And it was a two-day holiday. Silence very few guests, no phones, no pressure, nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing on the to-do list, nothing on our schedule, just absolute quiet. Time to enjoy our life, enjoy our family. I mean, the contrast of Passover and then the last two days that were sort of wedged together, where it was two days of no phone, two days of no traveling, two days of absolute quiet. uh, It was just it It was such a contrast. And the last two days were of the most beautiful days that I remember in my life. It was so, I kept on saying to my children, I wish we could have just two more days of Shabbat. Just two more days. I want four days. I want four days. Just two more. I can't believe we have to go already. Two days. After the first day, I was really getting into the zone. And I just wanted two more days. And then I realized, oh, we all need Shabbat so badly. The phone that is constantly constantly just zapping us with updates just to disconnect for a while to reconnect to what's inside and my oldest son lavi he said to me you no know, Abba, you can always just keep shabbat going throughout the week it's your choice that you choose to leave shabbat and lavi i would say is arguably my smartest at least in the iq of my children the least sq of my children as far as spiritual qualities are concerned but he has an honesty about him that he just tells it like it is. And the truth is he's right. That's the goal, to experience the holiness of time in Shabbat when everything is turned off and then bring that light into the week. That is the light of the Chagim. That's the light of the feast. That's the light of Shabbat. And that's what I want to dedicate this fellowship to. How do we practically... Bring the light of Shabbat, the light of these festivals, these light of these mo'adim, these meeting times into our lives after the holiday has passed. So with that, I want to start our fellowship with a prayer. And it's so good to be able to pray together again. And you should know, all throughout the holiday, I was praying for all of our fellowship as I was thinking about the temple in Jerusalem and thinking about what the Jewish people have been through to bring us to this day and how the mixed multitudes of the nations joined Israel on their journey to the promised land and how we're living a reflection of that in our generation and how King David's mountain attracted these mighty men from all over and how just our prayers are one. And so what an opportunity to bring all of us together and to, Pray with one mind and one heart from one land to one God. So Hashem, our father in heaven, master of the universe, thank you for Pesach. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for our farm. Thank you for bringing us all together around the world to the mountains of King David. Hashem, help us break free. Help us break free from our past from our worries about the future, from who we think we are, from who other people think we are, help us break free and become the people you created us to be, the people we were destined to be. Align us with your vision in our lives and help us align our lives with your vision for the world. Bless us as we start our week, as we start this new season, bless every family in this fellowship, guide them and protect them. Give us the light we need to break free from any darkness that is holding us back. And all of the believers around the world said, amen. So um, first thing I want to do as we're now gathering again, the team is gathered together. I just want to give you all an update. So many people have been asking me and Ari and want to make sure you're all, you know what's happening, what's happening on the inside. So it's been almost two years since uh, people started coming out to the farm. It was, it's was it been two years, almost a year and a half of isolation, of quiet, and you know, R&I just started hosting people again. And this was, I think, the first holiday where our farm was really open to people from the public that signed up, that came in, that organized tours and groups that were coming. And it was just, I don't remember, in the la- that just hasn't happened yet for a holiday. And what happened and I realized was when I give people a tour of the mountain, And for the first time, they see this majestic place built like an ancient Judean kingdom that has somehow risen up from the dust. I tell them about King David and his mighty men who joined him in these very mountains. And then I can't help it, but I talk about the fellowship because that is just absolutely a part of the story here. And in some ways, the fellowship members around the world are the spiritual residents of this farm and of this mountain and they don't live in Israel and they live across the world, but somehow they are, um, a body that it it, is kind of lifts this mountain up. It's, holds this mountain in place that has been drawn to this place that is sort of a headquarters for what's happening and I give people a tour and I'm teaching them about this awakening that's happening and without even knowing it then years ago in some ways this mountain was built for the families of this fellowship I'm sure it has purposes far beyond this fellowship that we don't even know yet but without a doubt right now it serves as a hub and a headquarters and there are people all over the world that are looking to learn Torah a Torah for the nations, a Torah that's universal, that comes from Zion, that comes from Sinai, an unbroken tradition, an authentic Torah from the land of Israel, a Torah that's not just a theory or a theology, but a Torah that is a living experience, an embodied knowledge, a Torah that guides us toward living a guided life. So now a part of my tour of the Aru Goat Farm is teaching people about this move that's happening around the farm in this fellowship, teaching people about this awakening that's happening. And I see people get all excited about it because they know the prophets is just as we do, that somehow we are bringing the world one step closer by just walking one foot in front of the other where Hashem is guiding us. And before corona, when groups came out to the mountain, there was no fellowship because the corona is what gave birth to the fellowship. And so now for the first time in almost two years, people are starting to come back and the fellowship has become an integral part of the teaching of this mountain. And that's made the farm so much more beautiful. And I, I couldn't think our mountain can become much more beautiful. And all of a sudden, here we have it. The teaching of the mountain is manifest in our lives and our lives are what's manifesting before us. And we are just teaching what is happening here prophecy in the land of Israel and a spirit is spreading its wings far and wide beyond the borders of Israel. And so what are we trying to do now? We're trying to build it up, trying to manifest the vision. Can we actually bring a vision of the messianic era, a window in to a perfect time when God's presence already dwells on earth? Can we manifest that now and walk in that light already now? And so a couple of weeks before Passover, Ari and I opened up a campaign starting with our fellowship. That's what we did. And it seemed like an effort to finish what seemed unfinishable. And I never expected to finish anything. It's not my job to finish things. My job is to take one step in front of the other, one day at a time, walk in whatever light I'm provided, and just to keep on walking in that light until I'm taken to where I need to go. Moses was told that he was meant to walk all the way into the promised land. He was promised the land, and Moses never made it into the land. And that is an important teaching that we have no idea what we're supposed to accomplish in our lifetime. We just need to walk in the direction that God gives us because our destiny may not be to actually complete the goal. The goal is not in our hands. The outcomes are not in our hands. The only thing that is in our hands is today. The only thing that's in our hands is right now. The only thing that's in our hands is the step that God shows us right as we start walking. He will show us the next step. And that's all that's in our hands And so we said, okay, well, we're going to keep on walking in that light. And our goal was to raise $540,000 because we had been promised a million dollars if we were able to reach that goal. And we're like, wow, well, even that's a huge goal to reach, but that seems like a once in a lifetime opportunity that you can't just ignore that. So, all right, well, that's the newest door that's been opened. Let's walk out in faith and see what happens. So we opened the gates for those that wanted to walk through and join us on this mission. And I have prayed hours, hours thinking about our side of the deal, right? I'm gonna reach out to the people that we love, the people that love this place, the people that love is our bond and truth is what unites us. And what are we going to do? They're they're, they're giving Ari and I a power over to us to manifest on this mountain. What should we do with it? Where will this go? And I couldn't find any clarity. And I said, well, just keep on walking, just keep on going, just keep on moving forward. And I didn't know what to do. Until this Passover, I opened up the Tanakh, I opened up the Bible to the book of Jeremiah, and it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I have found guidance in the Torah many times in my life, where I can't get guidance on my own, I open up the word, and very often the word is an answer to the question that I'm looking for, and very often I found unique guidance in the book of Jeremiah for my life, because my name is Jeremiah, my Hebrew name is Jeremiah. And so maybe it's because I'm the only Jeremiah I've ever been friends with, but my name given to me was inspired by the prophet Jeremiah, and somehow his words written almost 3,000 years ago have absolutely guided me throughout my life, and once again, Hashem never ceases to amaze me. And as I opened up relatively randomly into the Bible, I open up to Jeremiah chapter 33 verses 12 and 13. And here's what it says, thus says the Lord of hosts in this place, which is desolate without man and without beast. And in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem and in the cities of Judea. The flocks shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. And I I, I don't know, it hit me so strong because the first thing that our fellowship ever did together, our farm was being attacked by the forces of evil. Our vineyard was slated to be destroyed and we called on our fellowship to help us bring a flock of sheep to these mountains, south of Jerusalem in the mountains of Judea. And I didn't realize what we were doing at that time. I was just responding to the day, like danger, danger. What are we going to do now? We have to protect this mountain. And sheep seemed like the most strategic thing to do. But there was a bigger plan for our mountain that I didn't realize. We were aligning our mountain with the vision of Jeremiah as a spectacle for the world to see. And I never even once quoted that verse in the book of Jeremiah because somehow it was just blinded from my vision until this Passover. And here we had building a vision of the prophets, a window into a better world, a slice of heaven on earth where this barren desert nothingness, there was nothing on this mountain, was destined to be a place south of Jerusalem in the mountains of Judea that shepherds and shepherdesses would then soon have flocks of sheep again. It's like a sneak peek into the messianic era. I mean, if we have one life to live, And we have to dedicate our time, our money, our prayers, and our efforts, directing them toward the vision God gave us in the Bible. That's the best direction I can imagine. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to teach my children to do. And that's what this fellowship has always done. And we've been blessed because of it. And one day, this mountain and this fellowship, I believe are going to spark a global revival because as it manifests it's manifesting. And in the same chapter in the book of Jeremiah, in the same verses, he gave us one more vision. (laughs) Thank God he gave us one more vision because now we know what to do. (laughs) It was a vision of a farm, a vision of shepherds and shepherdesses. He gave us that and we're building that beautifully right now. Sheep, but he also gave us a picture of the greatest expression of joy, of hope, and of happiness that can be seen in life. If you've ever been to a Jewish wedding, there is nothing that generates more hope, more happiness, more joy, and more love than a Jewish wedding in the mountains of Judea. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 33. He continues, thus says the Lord. Again, there shall be a herd in this place in the mountains of Judea heard listening you'll be able to hear in this place in the mountains of judea and in the streets of jerusalem the voice of joy and the voice of gladness the voice of the groom and the voice of the bride the voice of those who will say praise the lord of hosts for the lord is good his love endures forever weddings As the world is attacking the family right now, attacking family values, attacking the family structure, attacking the concept of marriage, attacking even having children in this world, the dark, dark forces of evil are attacking us at the core of the story of the Bible. Because what is the core of the story? It's Abraham and Sarah. It's a family. It's Rebecca and Isaac. It's a family It's Jacob and his children, it's a family, it's the people of Israel, the children of Israel, it's all about the family, and Jeremiah says in those barren mountains of Judea, once the farm is built, and there are shepherdesses and sheep in those same mountains, you are meant to host weddings and fight back bring the family back to the forefront and teach the world what love is because they just might forget. Teach the world what hope is because they just might forget. Teach the world what joy is because they might forget. Now, we had one wedding here under the radar by one of our partners here. He was his daughter, so we kind of just did it as we did it, and it was out of this world unbelievable because that prophecy I was well aware of and it was a sneak peek into the future of what it would actually look like if we convert this mountain into a place that can host weddings from anyone from anywhere around the world with proper parking and infrastructure and gardens, and insurance and licenses. I mean, to make this mountain that didn't have a road into an actual place that can facilitate such a thing where the families would be able to come here and stay here the first Shabbat after their wedding on Thursday night. There's a lot that needs to go into that. And in a world of chaos, maybe we can just make some order And our mountain. Then if you really think about that, if that's what we're aiming towards right now with our side of the deal. To build the infrastructure and the gardens will become the most beautiful mountain in Judea. It like you can see it behind me. It's just still uh, it's beautiful, but all of this is just rocks and thorns still. But if we keep on building and keep on planting, we will make a garden that was prayed into existence, a dream that was given to us by the prophets of Israel, prayed for by believers around the world, and then built to fulfill that dream on earth in our generation. Okay. At the edge of the desert and the mountains of King David, we're going to build a garden as beautiful as the Garden of Eden. People are going to come to the Arugot farm. They're crying already now, overwhelmed with emotions. Wait till they see what our fellowship can do when we align ourselves with the vision of the prophets of Israel. And so we opened the door to the campaign a week before Passover. And today we've already reached a third of the way to our goal. Can you put up the picture Tabitha on the screen? This is a picture and if you can see it, it's over 33%. We're already marching toward the goal. Now Ari and I know that the fellowship, um, they're not looking to glorify their names. No family here is looking to massage their egos. This is literally the holiest group of people that Ari and I know. But we just feel if we're building these gardens there, Jacob built this monument, and we want to have a monument here of all of the ambassadors and all the people that have contributed significantly toward this. We want to have that in the gardens that the people that come here can see where the people from around the world contributed. Where did they come from? Who were they? It's not a chance that King David's men, they're named, and they're also named where they came from. And it shows that David brought all of these nations together to build God's kingdom in Jerusalem. And so we want to have a place that is something that you can be proud of, that when you bring your family here, you can show what you've built in the land. And just as Hashem has called his name upon this land, we could place our name on this land as well. And Just another tree, another pathway, another terrace. I mean, the Baha'i Gardens, that's like a a tourist attraction up in Haifa. The Baha'i Gardens have no chance against what the Land of Israel Fellowship is about to build in the mountains of King David. It's going to be so beautiful. <laughs> it's going to be something that this going to be a monument for generations. People are going to come and see the wonder of how the Garden of Eden could have been built in the mountains of Judea from the rocks and thorns of the desert. And Adam and Eve were put into the garden, and they were given the first command. People don't always know this. They were given a mitzvah in the garden it says guard this place and work this land in the garden of eden they were called to develop the land they were called to work the land to guard the land to make it beautiful they were put into the garden and gardens have weeds gardens need to be made beautiful and then we have beautiful gardens we're going to bring the family to the forefront to the vision that the prophets gave us and i just feel like I think about this a lot, and probably toward the end of the fellowship, I'll really bring it home, but the people of Israel, the night of Passover, they had to stare at life in the eye, and they didn't know what tomorrow would bring. They had to really say like, okay, well, this is, this is, this is our one life to live. We have one arrow to shoot here, and aim at the heart. The mountains of Judea in biblical prophecy, biblical destiny, the whole world can spin around in circles, but our eyes are toward the land of Israel and toward Jerusalem. You can't go wrong with that. And so people ask me, how long are we going to run this campaign for? And the answer is until Shavuot. Uh, we're not going to be pushing the campaign. That's not our, That's not our style. We're not going to be like, quickly, oh, donate, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. we are just going to keep the gates open for all those who feel called to walk through it with us. And our fellowship started two years ago, exactly after Shavuot. And it feels like a complete circle to complete our largest and most important campaign at the date of our anniversary. And so we're already one-third of the way there. And so that is the update. And I think that it is um, I couldn't be happier because I always expect the worst. And I'm like, well, as long as Hashem gives me strength, I'm going to keep on pushing. And if it doesn't work on this campaign, I'm going to hit the road with Tahila, and we're going to make it happen in some other way. And if it doesn't happen on the road, then I'll fly to the moon. And if it doesn't happen flying, I'll do whatever I have to do to fulfill Hashem's mission in my life. And so I am absolutely stunned, thrilled, excited that so many people have um, been called to become ambassadors, Have already donated so much, so significant. And then together, we are going to manifest this um, beautiful prophecy together. And I was thinking, and I I haven't run this by Ari yet, but my idea, and it might be a little bit of a crazy idea, is that every single wedding that I go to, I can't help it. I usually end up crying because I look at Tehila and she's always crying but there's something that's just magnificent about weddings there's just something about it that's just I don't know how to explain it soulmates that have come together and some destiny that's unfolding that we can't possibly understand and just the young love and so romantic and beautiful and I was thinking that for the members of our fellowship when we have weddings here we should be able to have an ability to sort of like tune in And that people that are a part of our fellowship would be able to participate in the wedding celebrations if they want to kind of tune into the mountain and see the weddings from around the world that will be coming here and just to kind of live and experience the prophecy from the inside. And I think that would just be a marvelous um, kind of benefit that we would be able to offer people just to experience what a Judean wedding in the mountains would be like. And so... That's my hope. That's my dream. That's the update. And with that update, I want to pass over the Zoom for a moment to one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. He's just so authentic, I think, is the word that comes to mind. It's like what you see, what you get. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I have a whole thing here. I really want to say this. What you see is what you get. It's like his heart. It's like it's not inside. It's sort of like out here on his sleeve. So everyone can see it and everyone can love it. But over Passover, I actually saw something new because Ari and I have been friends since you're 18, 19, and just like kids, really, just out of high school. And and, um, ever since I've known Ari, I, I sort of see him in the same light and I see him in the same way and things have come and things have gone, but he's still my best friend since we were kids. And he's always struggled with his weight. That's how I knew him. He's Ari that's always struggling with his weight. It was almost like a definition of who he was. Oh, Ari, he's always on a new diet, always trying some new fad. And I don't know the names of all the diets at this point. Atkins and South Beach and keto and ketosis and all these different words that I'm always learning from Ari. It was and really the yummiest
2: parts of each one.
1: <laughs> and high so I just always... <laughs> And, uh, but for years, years, he's like, Jeremy, one day I am going to figure this thing out and I'm going to crack the code. And decades have gone by and Ari just kind of always struggling to struggle. And over the last few months, though, he must have lost 30 or 40 pounds. It's just Ari never gave up. He just kept at it never gave in, never let anyone tell him otherwise in one step at a time. He's literally transforming his life and his future before our eyes. And it is absolutely inspiring. And so with that, Ari, I wanted to introduce Rabbi Ari Abramowitz. (laughs) Uh,
2: Thank you, Jeremy. I don't know what the connection is to the whole weight thing and why you had to dig so deep there. I've shared with people my journey. Um, But the truth is I actually was thinking about making a video exactly about that, calling it the Judean diet. Why the Judean diet? Because I'm a Judean. And that's the only connection I can really think of right now. No, there's deeper connection. I have thought of deeper connections. But um, you had the Judean way to start your day. It'll be the Judean diet. Either way, thank you very much. I don't know if it's applicable anymore because after Passover and all the eating, I think I'm right back to where I was. But it's still a nice thing. Either way, I think uh, some of you can identify with me. So um, first of all, I never heard or registered that prophecy that you just shared in the book of Jeremiah. Really, I've read the book also, but like you said, it's like, there's like a lot of that out here, like prophecies that I've read and I've just never either internalized or seen them through the same eyes, like they've remained dormant and then they're activated exactly when we need to be able to internalize them certain truths. It's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, I didn't actually see what verse and chapter it was. So I'm eager to watch the uh, fellowship again and to get that. But, um, but to all of you out there, many of you may remember that on the last fellowship, the internet connection that I had here at the, at the farm was pretty choppy and it was really frustrating and I felt terrible about it. So I decided it's probably best to go into Jerusalem for our fellowships where there's a much more reliable connection. But earlier today, um, I realized that I I don't have my vehicle to get into Jerusalem. So don't worry. I didn't like drive it off a cliff or anything. I just lent it out to someone and forgot. But either way, in order not to take any chances, I decided to pre-record this message that I wanted to share with you just a couple of hours ago. So it wouldn't be choppy and annoying. But of course, I see that the connection is fluid and awesome right now. But that's just the way it goes. Either way um i'm gonna play that message that i pre-recorded i recorded from right on the roof here um and uh and so i'm eager to share that with you and i'm going to shut off my screen here so as not to cause any confusion or existential crises from people that see my face as i'm speaking um so uh so here you are thank you salam friends it has been quite a passover for us here at the farm and i hope it's been a meaningful one for all of you as well because the truth is that I know that we all wanted to share more messages and teachings over the holiday itself. But here at the farm, the two most exhausting times of the year are Passover and Sukkot. There's rarely a free moment, and when there is, it's often spent collapsed on the sofa in exhaustion just between appointments. And, and, and believe me, I'm not complaining. I love every moment of it. There's just nothing I'd rather be doing, I, I'm t- and I want to tell you why. Because as you know, right, Passover is seven days. The first day and the seventh day are full-fledged Yom Tovs, meaning holidays. There's no electricity, no phones, no cars. Without getting into all the details, it's very similar to Shabbat. But the five days in the middle are a different story. They're called Chol Hamoed, which... I guess you could define as like the mundane within the holy. They're sort of like the intermediate days of holiness. They're definitely holy, right? You wouldn't wear tefillin even, tefillin the phylacteries, you wear them during the week on every day that you pray. But the holiness of the Chol Hamoed is so enhanced, is so great, that it provides this amplification of spirituality, which the tefillin usually offer. Meaning that the day itself is imbued with great holiness, the holiness of Passover. Just not the same degree as the first and the seventh days. All of this is detailed, by the way, in the book of Numbers, chapter 28, verses 16 to 25. I won't get into all of those details because I don't want to hijack Jeremy's fellowship. But I did want to share it with you because it's a big part of Jewish life here in Israel and around the world. But really more here in Israel because in America, during those five middle days, life really does go on normally it's not a it's not a Jewish country right so it's not built into the calendar so while people use their vacation days for the first and the seventh day in America most people don't even have enough vacation days to cover those middle days as well definitely not on Passover and on Sukkot on the Feast of Tabernacles so on a practical level other than special prayers and synagogue and eating matzah instead of bread those days don't really stand out. But in Israel, it's a very different story. The whole country is on vacation, right? Um, whether you're more religious, less religious, it's just what's done. The most secular Israeli refers to, uh, to Passover, you know, before and after Passover. Even if they don't keep every aspect of it, it's just scheduled into the calendar. It's so much part of, a part of the national consciousness. It's just... It's just a time for national vacation, but not exactly at the Arugot farm, right? On our mountain, we take vacation after Passover, at least that's when we would. We don't actually do that because, you know, the farm just like lights up over Passover. We literally had thousands of people flooding our mountain. They're just like, uh, I'll try to send a few pictures of it, you know, but it was just overwhelming and we're very busy and it gives me great joy because it's an extreme example of one of the primary reasons I believe Hashem sent us out here. To give people from throughout Israel and around the world an opportunity to experience the holiness of this place. Really how how mysteriously sacred these mountains are. Because there really is a lot of mystery to it. It just doesn't add up otherwise. Because all of Israel, all of Israel is holy. Right? All of Judea is holy. But when people come out here... <laughs> I'm just telling you as a general rule at least they're so touched so profoundly moved so deep in their souls it's just something I can't intellectually comprehend and in that way by the way this mountain actually reminds me of so many of you because I can understand intellectually why truth seekers particularly from Christian backgrounds as many of you are would be drawn to connect to the Jewish roots of their faith but the, the fire and the passion and the love and the yearning that I see in so many of you. Well, that is, it's got to be from a deeper place, a hidden place that I can't necessarily understand. And from our conversations together, by the way, I've come to believe that many of you also don't fully understand what God is doing in your hearts either. Anyways, bottom line is it's just so busy. On the one hand, it's a lot of work. And on the other hand, like I said, there's nothing I'd rather be doing with my time or my life, which by the way, is the reason it's so important that Shane and I are on this mission together. because while other families are out on vacation, she's here by my side, greeting thousands of people into our home and giving them food and love and attention, and really just like being the Sarah to the Abraham that I aspire to be. Anyways, the farm was more of a destination than I can remember. There were tour buses that booked ahead uh and and also just constantly coming out every single day. but the majority of people just showed up right They heard about it somehow. Word of mouth in Israel is a real thing right i, I even uh I even implemented a new approach that may seem obvious, but there were just so many personal requests come in that it would have been impossible for me to entertain everybody so rather the, uh so for the first time. I started booking everybody at once saying just come out I would have just listened to my voice right now this is since the first day I started losing my voice so a couple of times over the holiday I scheduled this you know this open tour and it was packed and it was invigorating and I actually really want to start scheduling a weekly tour at least at least once a week exactly like that so yes it was challenging but it was also great and then it ended with a with this one-two punch Right, The holy seventh day was followed immediately by Shabbat, which meant 49 hours of resting and praying and eating and just being. We actually had my parents come out, which was really important because my father isn't really doing very well at all. He's in a wheelchair now and he's on painkillers with this crippling sciatica. So for those that know what it is, it's, a, it's a terrible, it's very painful. So we'd be very grateful for your prayers. His name is Mordechai Herschel Ben Chaya. Anyways, thank you for that. But it was really good for us to be together in the mountains during such a difficult time. And um, at least that's what they said. You know that it was healing. It felt healing to them just to be out here. Anyway, so I hope all of you are able to experience the healingness of this place too. But anyways, Passover ended with that seventh day. And that seventh day is what I wanted to discuss with you. During the rest of my message here right now because many of people don't really know what that seventh day is really about or what makes it so special but Rav Biederman explains that the seventh day is a day that's auspicious for full faith a day in which our faith can be strengthened profoundly and internalizing the power of that day can strengthen us even now even now if we really take it to heart because on the seventh day what happened? The sea parted, and we walked through it, after which it returned to its natural state, wiping out the Egyptians altogether. Right? They say that uh, a simple handmaiden saw the divine in a way that the prophets of Israel didn't. And it was on that day that the Torah tells us that the Israelites achieved full faith, as we see in chapter 14, verse 31. Right? We say it in our prayers all the time. The Aminu Ba Israel saw the great hand that Hashem inflicted upon Egypt, and the people revered Hashem, and they had faith in Hashem and in Moses' his servant. Meaning, finally, only then did they really have faith. That up until then, there was a, a mum, right? There was a, a blemish in their faith. That up until then, and you know, I'm sure they believed, they had faith, but it wasn't complete faith. So if Biederman shares what the sages explain, were there two questions... Right, what was disturbing their emunah, disturbing their faith? So one question, many of you may have had it as well: Why did they have to tell Pharaoh that when they were leaving Egypt that they only wanted to leave for three days? Right, they were like in this position of strength. Hashem brought Pharaoh and all of Egypt down to their knees. Just say you're leaving for good. Right. The second question is similar. Why did they tell the Egyptians that they only wanted to borrow? their valuables, their clothes, their treasures. Why not just say it's ours now? Right, it's pennies on the dollar for the years of brutal enslavement. Why just say that they're borrowing it? So these two questions plagued them and it disturbed their faith. But once they saw the parting of the sea and the drowning of the Egyptians, our sages explained only then did they really know. Only then did they realize that the anger and the betrayal that Pharaoh and the Egyptians felt and what they perceived was, was this betrayal against them that they had been lied to. Well, that fury pushed them over the edge and caused them to chase after the Israelites, to kill them. right? And that actually resulted in the annihilation of the Egyptians in the sea and the historic sanctification of God's name that resulted from that. right? It was only then that it all made sense to them and their faith was complete. And that's why I wanted to share this message with all of you. Because we can learn from this during our times when we are already seeing, right, all around me right now, we're already seeing the redemption unfolding. But there's still so many questions. So many of us are going through so much pain and so many of you reach out to me and I'm grateful for that. Not only on personal level, on a global level. On a global level and on a personal level. Because as things happen in the world and in our lives that we we may not understand everything. You scratch that we will not understand everything we will not understand how everything particularly the pain and the grief in our lives is for the good we will not understand how it's part of redemption but it is in our hands to have complete faith anyways i know it's hard i know i know it is believe me i know it is but it's it's something that we need to pray for and aspire to but we can have that complete faith despite the questions if we look back at the blemish in the faith of those Israelites and take that lesson into our hearts you know I was even just talking to Jeremy about this yesterday right we've seen with our own eyes the miracles after miracles that brought us out to this mountain and have guided us every step of the way yet there's still moments of doubt real moments long moments sometimes moments of not understanding but it's during those moments that we, we really can strengthen our faith and know that just as we see God so clearly looking backwards in history, Hashem is with us now and guiding every detail of our lives, even now. And so, my friends, I want to bless you and bless myself, bless all of us with the gift of perfect faith and the knowledge that Hashem is with us. And there is a reason, a good reason, for even those things that we can't possibly fathom, that we can't possibly understand, they're all part of the redemption that's unfolding today. Shalom, my friends, back to you, Jeremy.
1: There we go. Thank you, Ari. That was a wonderful video that you made ahead of time so that your reception on the farm (laughs) because you lost your vehicle. I really, really love that message. I really love the idea. I never thought of that, that it was the fact that we borrowed their materials and that we said it was only three days that instigated them to chase after us and then when they saw the sea come down on them, they realized, ah, that was all a part of the divine plan. So it's like, usually it's in the place that we lack the doubt, like ah, it's like, oh, Joseph, our father is still alive. There's gonna be a moment in all of our lives when everything sort of like fits into place. And in the times where it doesn't yet fit, it's to like, hold the line. I think that is a very powerful message. So I have a surprise for the fellowship. <laughs> and um, I, I always share uh, my newest creations first here. And it's, I, I've worked on this for a long time, you know, and I, I tr- what I try to do on projects that I'm working on is I just move a little bit forward, another little bit, another little bit. And even if it takes me a year, it's okay. I mean, it's like slowly, slowly uh, progressing forward. But in the mountains of King David, King David wrote, psalm 23 and according to the midrash he quite literally wrote it in our mountains in the mountains of zif and i grew up with psalm 23 which is um, a psalm of david the lord is my shepherd i shall not want i always read that psalm with kind of a somber attitude a little bit of a sad feeling to it um there's like a, a very very famous jewish folk song that talks about as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and Reb Shlomo, he, he had such a sad tune to it. And I grew up on that melody of Gam ki e tsalmave, Lo Lo Vira. It was always like a sad song. And also on the third meal on Shabbat, there's a very famous melody that's also in minor. Also a little bit of a sad melody. And I know that there's a Christian tradition that people read Psalm 23 at funerals. It's like a sad Psalm. There was one day I was out here in the mountains and I read it and then it just struck me that it's one of the happiest psalms that King David wrote. (laughs) It's the happiest psalm. And I'm like, well, I just, I want another tune to that song so people can realize David was really happy when he wrote that song. Um, And then what I did was in Hebrew is I reordered the words when the melody came to me so that people that know the psalm in Hebrew, they don't just read it in rote but they hear the words reordered for the first time in a new way, and then it brings out the meaning of how happy that Psalm is. And so I made this music video in the mountains where King David wrote the Psalm and I made it here with the English translation and the English transliteration so you can read along with the Hebrew. I am not releasing it to the world just yet, but I wanted to release it here for this fellowship as my Passover gift to you. I really, really love this one. (laughs)
0: said will kol a good friend. I'll be a ki Time, am of
1: Thank you thank you (laughs) and so i just wanted to share that with you to try to like capture some of the magic on this mountain you know the beginning of the video has these girls walking barefoot the shepherdess is here it's a part of the culture i can't walk three feet in these mountains but the girls walk here barefoot through the thorns through the rocks they have like feet of steel and that's just remember that image of these judean girls walking through the mountains barefoot and as they're making that beautiful table, they were preparing the first engagement party of our first shepherdess. And we just wanted to like kind of capture that a moment in time of just the happiness of this mountain as the whole world is sort of like riku, that there are happy times in the mountains of Judea and happy times still to come. And so what I want to just uh, kind of share with you all as we kind of like winding down the fellowship are the heart of the lessons that I learned from Passover and how I want to bring them into my life. And so every group, especially that came from outside of Israel, I said that redemption started with plagues. And those plagues that struck Egypt were a wake-up call. And a lot of Egyptians, along with a mixed multitude of nations, did teshuva. And they returned to Hashem and joined Israel on their way to the promised land. Now, listen up what I'm saying. Corona was a global plague, and it was a global wake-up call. It was just a quick glimpse of how fragile the world is. A little microscopic virus just made the world crazy, and the gates were shut to Israel. And every Jew outside of the land needs to be very aware of that. And it was a wake-up call for everyone to really realign our focus, realign our priorities. It was to wake us up from our slumber of just taking things for granted because that is human nature. And we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. The second lesson, as we left the first day of Passover, we began counting the Omer. And that is a deep teaching, a spiritual work of focusing on every single day. Focus on the little things don't always be lost in the big vision of what's happening with Facebook and Elon Musk is buying Twitter and things are happening in Ukraine. Just your day. Enjoy the little things in life because one day you'll realize those are the big things. You know, Passover night, the people of Israel had to face death Would God pass over their houses? Would they be redeemed? After they took the blood of the God of Egypt and painted their door, they marked themselves for every Egyptian to know exactly where to find them and punish them with a death sentence for desecrating their God. And the Haggadah says every night on Passover, we have to see ourselves as if we left Egypt that night. And every time I experienced that differently, every Passover Seder. But for some reason, what caught my attention this time was just staring death in the eyes. And if I was on my deathbed and I wanted to, I would just want to go back in time and just spend a little few more minutes in specific moments. And those moments were the little things. And over Passover, I just like started noticing just... You know, on Shabbat morning, I take Noam, my six year old, and we go out and shepherd the sheep together. And, you know, it's so funny because I have such an American culture to me. And so I grew up throwing the baseball with my dad. And so it's very Judean to go out shepherding with your children. But who throws the baseball while they're shepherding? Only someone that was born in Atlanta, Georgia is like throwing the baseball with our sheep around us. But that's what God had planned because he brought me from America back to the mountains of Judea to sort of make this new blend of Atlanta, goat all mixed in together. But those moments just throwing the baseball, that's what I would want, a little bit more time throwing the baseball with Noam, Um, reading a book to Emuna, who's my nine-year-old snuggling with Chen, my four-year-old. She has a snuggle addiction. She just loves to snuggle all the time, but just having that time together and just going on a hike with Akiva around the mountains, my 15-year-old, playing chess with Lavi, my 18-year-old, making eggs with Eden, my nine-year-old. Nothing here is very fancy. Nothing here costs any money, but it's those little things. Enjoy the little things that each day offers because one day you're going to realize Those were the big things. Delight in life itself. It's a celebration. It's a gift. Hug people. Hug people as much as you can. The social distancing that Corona caused. Push back against that in your private life and hug everyone that you can. Everyone needs hugs. And counting the Omer, counting your days. It's like make every day count. You might think this isn't the best time to be alive in the 1980s and 90s were better. And I don't know what people think, but it's the only time we're going to be alive is right now. That's where we're at. And it's a gift. It is a gift. And every day is wonderful because we're alive to experience them. These days are gifts and keep your days compartmentalized into one day boxes, one day at a time. We need to practice that. That's why we count the Omer. We have to practice that because our minds just naturally go on vacation. And they think about, well, in a few months from now, I'm going on vacation. And years from now, I'm going to get that degree. And so much in front of us. And there's so much behind us. And no. nagila <speaking in Hebrew> This day, Hashem created. Let us rejoice and be happy in it. This is the day, it's all that we really have. We have no idea what will happen tomorrow or in one week or in one month. Mashiach just might come in the very next moment. But what we have is right now, now is all that exists. So count the Omer because today is what we have. Don't get lost thinking about a time in the future that doesn't exist or a past that's lost in history. Count your days and make every day count. And how do you do that? by loving the little gifts of life, the little things. And so I wanna tell you this habit that I've developed. It's particularly relevant as we count the Omer because on Passover, we talk about the blueprint that before the redemption, the Jewish people are going to experience slavery. And every story in the Torah is prophecy. The story is an archetype for our lives, but it's also a template prophecy archetype for the future. And you can't help but see the parallel of the prophecy that before the resurrection and liberation of the state of Israel, the Jewish people existed as slaves in concentration camps. That can't just be, like, ignored. That was our existence before the redemption. For some reason, there's a map, there's slavery, liberation, and redemption. So over Passover, I was reading a lot of the writings of the Holy Fire, the Esh Kodesh Rabbi Kalonymus Kalman Shapira. Can we put a picture of him up on the screen? He was the rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto, the rabbi of the Jewish slaves before liberation, a man so connected to God, a man commissioned with the mission to give the Jewish people faith and hope in a time there was no hope, to give people faith when God's face was hidden from the world, to give hope in a hopeless time. I have a picture of him on my bookshelf right next to my door. And when I see his picture, I have a habit. I remind myself when he opened his door, what did he see in Warsaw? He saw swastikas and he saw darkness and he saw evil just manifest in the world. He saw hell that man had made on earth. And then I open up my door. And I see my children running through the grass and the palm trees in the mountains of Judea and Jews and non-Jews and believers coming from all over the world to celebrate Passover in the mountains of King David. If he were to open his door and somehow enter into my eyes and see what I saw and he were to see this, I think that he would think he was in the Garden of Eden. I think he would think he was in paradise. And then what does that mean? That means that if we just open our eyes, we'll realize that we have another day with our loved ones. We have one more day in Gan Eden. One more day was gifted to us. If we're alive and we have our loved ones behind us and the land of Israel is coming back to life, we are experiencing Gan Eden coming into the world. The slavery in Egypt was hard. It's like the hard times of the past, but we have a day in the future hope that the garden of Eden is going to come and we can actually see it being built with our very eyes and so I have a picture of him on my bookshelf right near my door to remind me what was in some way it's like the hard times of the past give us the gift to love life now because we could have been slaves in Egypt that's really a long time ago but we could have been slaves in Auschwitz that wasn't so long ago And we were blessed to be born in this generation where we can see the land of Israel come to life again. And so may we be blessed by the hard times of the past and the hope that Hashem has for us in the future and let that light of freedom of Passover enter into our hearts and light up our loved ones around us. Hashem should bless everyone in this fellowship. We just love you so much and know that you're prayed for from this mountain, that you are blessed from Zion. And so be blessed with the blessing that our fathers have given our sons for so many centuries upon centuries. Shalom, my dear fellowship. We'll see you next week.
2: To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.